Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of FSU Coach Live. My name is Dr. Tim Baghurst at FSU Coach. My guest today is Dr. Rick West, who's also a professor, but also happens to be an associate head, excuse me, associate men's swimming coach at West Virginia University. Rick, I knew I would butcher that. I apologize. Just give us a little background about how you got into this position. Sure, sure. Well, like you said, I'm Rick West. I'm um, an assistant professor at Fairmont State University, which is a small um, school in Fairmont, West Virginia. And about 25 miles north of here is West Virginia University. And I'm the, like you said, the associate head men's swimming coach at West Virginia. And uh, it's been kind of a long road to get to where I am at both Fairmont and WVU. But I teach a full class load here at Fairmont. So I teach uh, 12 hours uh, or 13 hours, whatever there's an overload or whatever it might be in the health and human performance department. Um, I teach a variety of classes, uh, sports psychology, strength conditioning, motor behavior, uh, things of that nature. I'm filling in this semester for anatomy and physiology, which I haven't taught in quite a few years. So I'm dipping my toe back in the pinch hit for someone while we're going through a hiring process. And then in the other kind of stage of life um, I'm in, I am the uh, associate men's coach at WVU. So the structure of the way we do it at WVU, there's a head coach, there's a head diving coach, and then two associate coaches. And really the the main purpose of the two coaches for that, I'm responsible for the men's recruiting, um, administrative type things for the men's team. And then there's uh, a colleague that I have, Lauren Cassano is the associate women's coach, and she does the, the same thing for the women's team. Um, but your question was how, how I got here. And uh, so that's kind of a, a long road as well, but I started off um, with my, undergrad degree and I was a physical education, health education, special education teacher. And my student teaching that I did was at Steubenville High School in Steubenville, Ohio. And uh, I did my student teaching there and I immediately became a teacher in that school and taught physical education. And at the time there was a YMCA that was in the school. So the school partnered with the YMCA. And when they did that, um, that gave the opportunity to do some community programming, kind of, kind of non-traditional education type things for the community. So I would teach swimming classes to sixth graders, but I would also teach at the high school as well. And then I coached the high school swimming team. And then that was kind of my goal going through undergrad. It was just to be a swimming coach and a, a teacher in a K-12 school. And I had taken a group of guys on my team to Ohio State swim camp. And I had called up the coach who was Bill Wadley at the time and said, hey, can I bring these guys over? Um, but if I do that, I'm gonna bring six or seven guys. Can I stay in the dorms, You know, have my meals provided, that kind of thing, and not get paid, but just kind of volunteer. He's like, absolutely, bring them over. And so that was kind of my introduction to college coaching. So uh, I did that and had continued to go back to Ohio State for a few years. Um, then there was an opportunity for an opening at a Division II school in West Virginia called Wheeling Jesuit University, which is now Wheeling University. And I had called Bill um, and Mike Litzinger, who was the assistant men's coach at Ohio State, kind of talked with them. And they said, you know, you might you might want to consider applying for that. You know, you do a nice job with coaching. The team's going well. Um, see what you think. So I applied for the job and, and received it. And we did really well with Wheeling Jesuit. We uh, placed in the top 25 uh, at NCAAs for the men's team. I had a female qualify. And the very next year, because of my relationship with Bill, Mike had moved on to another uh, head coaching position at University of Utah. 
And uh, Bill called me up and said, hey, why don't you come over and be the men's assistant coach here at Ohio State? So I did that uh, for a period of time and then became the men's head coach at Duquesne University um, when they had a men's team. They no longer have a men's team anymore and moved from that program to the men's and women's assistant coach at University of Pittsburgh, which is just up the road from Duquesne. Duquesne's in Pittsburgh as well. Um, and then kind of stepped away from college coaching for a little bit because of family reasons and things like that, which I think is sometimes common. You might find for some coaches that step away for a period of time and come back. Um, but because I had done recruiting and things like that, I had gotten into pharmaceutical sales as kind of a, my job at the time. I did that for a few years uh, and just didn't really find the satisfaction of what I was doing in the, the business world. And so I went back into coaching, ironically, back at Wheeling Jesuit. Um, Wheeling Jesuit's also a small school, kind of like Fairmont. So you do multiple jobs there sometimes. So I was the head swimming coach and admissions counselor. That was my role at Fairmont. And then uh, I moved into the registrar's position, uh, ironically, of all things. So I was the registrar of the university and the head swimming coach. And uh, they were doing some combination. They had a couple people doing multiple jobs, you know. The athletic director and basketball coach was a job. And then, you know, a couple of things throughout the university. And they had said, you know, we're kind of kind of condense these jobs. Why don't you think about um, going into this position in administration? I wasn't really keen on that at the time because I had just come out of the, the business world and and doing those kinds of things. And I really enjoyed teaching. I enjoyed coaching. I enjoyed being with the athletes. I just finished my master's um, in athletic coaching education at WVU. Um, and one of the vice presidents of Wheeling Jesuit said, hey, you know, you might want to think about going and get your doctorate. Now, I think their intention was to go get my doctorate in higher education administration. Um, so I did not do that. I applied to two schools, University of Pittsburgh for exercise uh, physiology and WVU for at the time was kinesiology as their doctorate. Um, and I applied to both of those and uh, had gotten into both and decided on WVU. And uh, one of my professors from undergrad, who was a letter of recommendation for me, I had called her up to thank her for helping me to, to get in and be my letter of recommendation and said, hey, if you ever need an adjunct at West Liberty University, which is another division two teaching school in West Virginia, let me know. And so I um, called her up and said that. And she said, well, you know, we actually have a position open. So why don't you think about applying for that? So that solved some problems in my mind. I would teach at West Liberty. Wheeling Jesuit and West Liberty are 15 minutes apart. Coach at Wheeling Jesuit, teach at West Liberty. I could step out of the dual role thing, so that would kind of help Wheeling Jesuit out. But I also started a doctoral program at the same time. Well, it took me exactly one semester to realize that that was not going to fly to begin a doctoral program, uh, coach at one place, teach another place, and the doctoral program is about an hour and 15 minutes away at WVU. So that was kind of the, the confluence in my life where I had to make a decision on exactly what I was going to do. So I stopped coaching um, and had, again, teaching at West Liberty and then doing the doctoral program. And I just kind of walked over to WVU's coach. I didn't really know Vic and the other coaches at the time, but I said, hey, I know you guys travel. You're kind of short on coaches. If you ever need someone to coach the kids who don't travel, you know, I'm happy to stay back. So I'm over across the street at Pass. You know, I'm happy to come over and help you out. So I did that for three years as a volunteer coach. So if you look at my resume at WVU's website, it'll have as a three-year volunteer. So that's what I was doing. I was working on my doctoral classes, but I was still teaching at West Liberty about an hour and 15 minutes away. 
uh, and doing that drive back and forth because uh, I had a passion for coaching. I had a passion for what I was doing um, and a position opened up. And so I chatted with West Liberty, chatted with WVU, and they were OK with me doing both roles. So I was a professor at West Liberty. I was an assistant professor there and then um, just an assistant coach at WVU at the time. So how did I get to Fairmont? So Fairmont's much, much closer to WVU than West Liberty, about um, 40, 45 minutes closer. So a job opened here at Fairmont. It's basically the same type of institution. They're both state schools, similar in size. Fairmont's a little bit larger. Um, I applied for the job and gave them the entire situation as far as uh, what I do. And you know, if I'm coming down to Fairmont, my reason for that would be so I could be physically closer to the WBU job, but you're going to get me for more hours a day because I'm not on the road for three hours each day traveling. And uh, that's how it worked out. So that's kind of the, the very long winded story of how I got to where I am right now. But it was a, a series of different coaching, uh, volunteer, paid, unpaid uh, club stops along the way, coaching wise, and then just kind of progressing through with my degree and my teaching uh, that whole time as well. I think there's a lesson there for, for many in the sense that getting the job that you perhaps want is not something that you often are able to walk into. It, it comes from a number of other stops along the way, not only at West Virginia where you volunteered, but all of the other places that you mentioned where you served in some capacity in coaching and maybe younger coaches have a tendency to, to forget that part and want to go from, I want to coach swimming to, I want to be a head coach at a college program, uh, without really going through the, the trenches where you learn a lot. I would hundred percent agree with that. I, I think, um, I believe if you're going to be a college coach, you still need to take some time to coach uh, age group swimmers um, and coach eight-year-olds. That was my very first uh, coaching job was coaching eight and unders for the Wheeling YMCA uh, when I was an undergrad. And uh, that was wonderful because you really learned verbal cues, how to talk to students or athletes in different ways that are eight years old. And, you know, if you're coaching eight year olds, you're saying the same thing 10 different ways and hoping they get one of them, you know, and you're learning organizational skills, you're learning management skills. And those are obviously much, much different than coaching 60 college kids, but the concepts are very similar. Um, and, and you're going to make mistakes as a coach and that's okay. You know, you kind of want to minimize your mistakes as much as possible or hope you have a mentor coach or a, a head coach that can help you minimize those mistakes. But I'm not sure about every other young coach, but I was a very hard headed, you know, I knew everything young coach. And of course I wasn't going to make any mistakes. I was perfect the very first time through. So, uh, every year I, I tell my students in my class, you know, from when I was 18 until now I get dumber each year. My father gets smarter each year because at 18, I thought he was the dumbest guy on the face of the earth at 50. You know, I think he's the brightest guy on the face of the earth and I'm, I'm going down each year. So I think in coaching, yeah. it sometimes works the same way. Some of those more experienced coaches I work with, I'm like, ah, they're just older. They don't know what they're talking about. And I'm like, they knew exactly what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. But I think that comes with, you know, maturity, I hope, and age and things like that and experience. But certainly those experiences at, like I said, age group, high school, they definitely have helped shape mold me to where I'm coaching now for sure. Yeah, I'm going to add on to that because <clears throat> we, as we age, 
we become more learned, more mature, maybe more patient, et cetera, et cetera. And we develop those skills that, that we didn't necessarily have in our 20s. <clears throat> Yet at the same time, I think there's a, a tendency for us to become fixed in our beliefs about how to train or how to interact with others or work with groups because, <clears throat> oh yeah, I did that when I was younger. It didn't work. Now I do this and it works, mm -hmm. but that doesn't always work either. And so I think there's a challenge there for those of us who are a little bit more mature, who have a little gray in our beards <laughs> to recognize that we should still be learning and we should still be flexible and understand that that 20 year old who wants to be that head coach may have some good ideas too. Absolutely. Um, you're, you're, and I was again, very lucky that my coaches that I worked with, whether it was Chuck Knowles at Pitt or Bill Wadley at Ohio State or Vic Riggs at WVU, you know, they let me try some things and fail and kind of go back and say, hey, here's where you can improve. But they also let me try some things and were successful. And they said, hey, I'm, I'm going to use that down the road. So I think you're you're exactly spot on that, you know, a really good mentor, uh, a good mentor coach anyway, takes the time to look at all angles, what's going to help them and their program and their students and their athletes and their staff the best. And I think those individuals, if you can find someone like that to attach yourself to that can support you, that's extremely important as a, as a coach in our profession. Talk to me a little bit. You mentioned you were an assistant coach first and then became an associate coach. I'm talking about West Virginia. Mm -hmm. What, what was the difference between being an assistant and associate coach? So on our staff, and this is different within the world of swimming, so not every school does it this way. Okay. So our head coach is primarily kind of the workout writer. We each rotate through different groups. So I will coach distance guys one day. I might coach sprint women a different day. So I'm the associate head men's coach, but that's, like I said, more for administrative, not just the coaching part. So I coach women on our team. And the other coaches, we all kind of flow through that way. As an assistant coach, pretty much you're responsible for maybe a couple tasks in the office. Um, maybe it's setting up travel or team meals or something like that. Uh, and then you're coaching. I, as an associate coach, the responsibilities elevate to being in charge of recruiting for your gender or your, your group or whatever it might be. Um, any kind of policies, more of team culture, things like that. Because obviously you're, you're, who you're recruiting directly affects your team culture. You know, you have to have a targeted recruiting idea of what you want on your team to get the culture that you're going to uh, cultivate later on. Um, but those individuals have to have those tools in advance, I think. But that's the main responsibility is it, it elevates in terms of the broader role of the team for, for us here. Now, I do know at some institutions it's, it's different um, and it can vary greatly. Uh, so sometimes it's just a pay raise and it's the same job. Uh, but with ours, it did change in terms of the responsibility as well. Okay, so let me follow up. You said who you're recruiting directly affects your team culture. Great yep. quote. How, how do you determine what your team culture is and how do you recruit somebody to fit that culture? So I'm going to describe that from the perspective of the associate coach because yeah. um, I am not the, I'm not the head coach, so right. I have to base the culture off of that individual. I'm sure. recruiting for Vic. Um, 
And so I have to know his personality, what he likes, what he wants in training, what he wants to see with an athlete, his communication style, all those kinds of things, and kind of find athletes that are going to mesh well with that. Um, Can you, you know, give an example of, let's say I'm your recruit, what, yeah. what are you looking for in me that would fit the team culture at WVU? So we have uh, uh, a set of core values. That's passion, integrity, and commitment. And passion means that you truly love the sport. You're not doing it because you've always done it. You're not doing it because it's a job or because mom and dad are making you. You really love the sport of swimming. Then um, I'll kind of relate this to Vic on each one. Uh, but Vic was a really great swimmer. Uh, so he truly loves the sport and he truly enjoys what he's doing with, with coaching. So I think that matched passion is extremely important. Uh, integrity is being honest with yourself and other people at all times. Um, again, relating this to Vic, uh, he's an individual that uh, if you make a mistake, sure, there might be penalties for that. But if you're honest about the mistake and you say, hey, I screwed up, I did this, we can work with that. We, we can find a path forward from that. It's not make or break situation. Hiding something that's a little bit different. So integrity is really, really important. Um, and being honest with yourself too, you know, really kind of knowing what your, um, what your potential is and what you're willing to do is, is important. And then commitment. And that's simply whatever you say that you're going to do, you're going to do it. So it can't be something where I'm going to make NCAAs or the big 12 team or Olympic trials and then do other things that contradict that goal that you set for yourself. Because we, we're working with young adults, you know, so we really do put a lot of emphasis on um, what's your part of that contribution? What are you telling us that you wanna do? So those core values really are who Vic is. So I look for guys, if I'm recruiting Tim, you know, I talk to Tim about those and I ask him questions, you know, tell me about why you like the sport of swimming. Tell me about a time where it was tough for you to be honest, but you had to. You know, tell me about a time that um, you were committed to something, but maybe fell short. What did you, you know, to fix that? So that's kind of where the relationship of the recruit and I come together. And then we kind of evaluate from there. Okay. We're going to take a short break. If you have questions for Rick and you're watching live, feel free to put them in your chat box and, and we'll get them to him. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. The mission of FSU Coach is to prepare and equip the next generation of coaches and sports professionals with best practices and current research to enable them to pursue excellence. We have two academic programs, the online graduate certificate, which is four classes, and also a 10-class master's in athletic coaching. Our graduate certificate and master's program can be started at any time, either the, the summer, fall, or spring. All of our classes have the word coach or coaching in them and they're taught by coaches for coaches. The types of classes that we offer focus on the athlete as a whole person. We focus on the theory and practice, the research, the helping skills, uh, even some of the mental performance behind you know, what it goes into being an athlete. I came to FSU Coach because I truly believed in the mission and the purpose of the program. I think I have my dream job being a head coach at Florida State but I know there's always more ways that I can help my athletes and better prepare as a coach. So I thought joining this master's program would help me um, learn different ways to attack my job. If you're interested in going into coaching or joining the FSU coach program, I would just say, don't even think about it and do it. 
Hey, we're back live. Uh, Rick, I do have a question in the chat box, but I want to finish with one question on the recruiting. Sure. And that that is, I don't know a coach who doesn't look for athletes of high character. We're right. all we're we're all looking for committed athletes, athletes who love the sport, athletes who are who who show integrity. How do you get them to come to West Virginia when they can go to fifty other D one schools? Sure. So now, in full disclosure, I'm from West Virginia, so I'm a I'm a West Virginia guy, right? Yeah, so, I, I, I I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but I I grew up a Mountaineer fan, and what you just said is what in I look full for. disclosure, Rick. I interviewed at West Virginia for a job and got turned down. So there's oh, no I'm sorry. Feeling here. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I wasn't part of that process. So I know. I know. Responsible for that. Oh, good. But, uh, but what you had just said is actually one of the things I look for. So I want the guys who have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. You know, this other school that's adjacent to West Virginia didn't recruit me or they didn't put me high on their list. You know, I'm like, we're going to swim them. You, you know, you can come with us and we're going to light that fire a little bit. And we're going to come back and we're going to show them that they should have recruited you. And uh, so the transfer portals actually helped us out tremendously in that respect, because I think we have built a really great team culture. Um, we have a guy that's on the U.S. Open Water National Team right now. He's getting ready to go and compete for an Olympic spot in just two weeks. That's a transfer from USC. So he came back from USC. We had a guy that transferred in from Michigan, among others. But And that's not to say anything disparaging about those schools. It's just that, you know, the name recognition of some of those other places versus West Virginia initially to a 16-year-old um, is much different. So I think that character piece that you're speaking of we look for that chip you know what's that little thing that drives you that you want to prove something um so i think that's helped us uh in that way but again i can speak to that because i'm i'm from here and that's kind of something that we as a as a state we we feel in general so i think that's that's kind of who we are as a people in the state that's who we are as a university and it drives us so i think that's a character trait that accents all the other things uh that we have been discussing so i think that's the when you say you have person a person b who do i go with that's that's what the discerning determining factor is mm. all right uh ed denny says hey rick how often do you and the other coaches get to write the workout meaning how do you keep your writing workout writing skills sharp so that's fluctuated over the years. Um, in certain years, we've done, like I coached the distance group exclusively for one year. Um, then there's other years that we would do kind of a speed group or whatever it might be. Uh, there are sets throughout the week that Vic will, um, or the head coach will kind of say, hey, write this set, write this workout, write these types of things. Um, after being there for 12 years at this point with this particular head coach with Vic Riggs, and I, I have a pretty good idea of what he's looking for at certain times of the week. Um, so that that helps out tremendously. The summertime, though, uh, we do coach a lot of the individuals and write, the own, write our own workouts during that period of time. So it just kind of depends on um, fluctuations throughout times of the year. But we definitely have an opportunity to keep them sharp. I want to talk a little bit about the transfer portal and NIL because it has really transformed the major sports. But I'm curious how it's affected the Olympic sports. You alluded to the fact that, that you're able to recruit students from other universities maybe you weren't able to before. Do you also lose students 
that although you may not have lost previously and and how is nil impacting your student athletes so going with the the transitioning first um especially for graduate programs now we're this is kind of the last year of the the, the covid athletes yeah. so they have those fifth years to do graduate programs so we're still kind of reaping the benefits of some of those athletes right now um so that'll, that'll cause a little bit of a shift probably going forward because you don't have five-year individuals um i think that when an athlete goes into college Again, the first thing they see is the name recognition of the university um, and the team culture. They verbalize it's important, but I don't know if they really know what that means until they actually step foot on campus and meet the guys and hang out with them and those kinds of things. And right now they're juniors in high school hanging out with college guys. So there's a little bit of a disconnect in terms of what's important for a junior in high school versus you know a sophomore in college. Um, they can speak to it. Our guys know how to do that. but still what you're living in your present time. I think once athletes get to college and they kind of know what's important to them, what makes it fun, what makes it enjoyable, what makes it not a job, that's when they start kind of looking in the transfer portal and things like that. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, Tim, we, we don't lose a whole lot of guys. We haven't had uh, too many guys that have transferred out uh, from our program. A couple here and there over the years, um, but not a ton in terms of uh, that type of thing. Um, NIL. NIL hasn't, we have some people who are working with that with, we have a trust at West Virginia. That's who you actually work with is the trust, the uh, country roads trust. But, um, I would not say for the sport of swimming at West Virginia, it's been a predominant motivating factor for recruits and things like that at this point in time. Now the Austin money probably is. So that's the the extra academic benefit award that you get above and beyond your scholarship. That's a pooled amount of money that we do distribute that. So, and then each sports able to take that money and distribute it however they want. So they can give it to the person who's on scholarship or they can give it to an individual who's on the team. Uh, so that came out around the same time that NIL was popping at the same exact time. So it's probably a lesser known amount of money, but uh, it's a way to kind of, again, reward individuals who are doing really well academically, which is what we do. We give it to our highest academic achieving students on the team. Um, you know, but it, it's, it's calculated by the number of scholarships you have and things like that. Hmm. Uh, another question from Ed. He said, being one of only two schools that I'm aware of, Virginia Tech being the other, with off-campus pools, has that presented any unique challenges? Absolutely. Yeah, sure. I mean, West Virginia in general is very much a college town. Cool. So uh, it's not a – I kind of describe three types of campuses. A postage stamp campus where everything's inside the square. Um, a city campus, so if you think of like University of Pittsburgh, where the city and the university are very much merged, and then the college town, which is 100% what we are. West Virginia was kind of a downtown campus. It grew uh, to the Evansdale campus and now growing beyond that. And then there's little neighborhoods throughout. So the pool is maybe a 10-minute drive from the Coliseum, which is kind of where the athletic center hub is, 10, 10 minutes at the most. It's still in Morgantown. It's not in a different city like some other institutions. Um, but it has presented challenges in just making sure that people get to practice or if there's snow like we had last week and the roads aren't cleared or something like that, that's a challenge as opposed to just walking from your dorm, you know, across the, the campus. But 
given our facility and it's a beautiful 50 meter facility that we've already hosted us diving nationals i'll, I'll take those challenges you know a couple people having the carpool to come to practice and things like that for the facility i'll 100 take that every time what what would you say are, are the challenges of being an associate head coach and also swimming because there's two questions right being associate means you're not in charge right but also swimming has its own characteristics that might be different to other sports yeah i think being an associate coach you have to you have to put your ego aside for a little bit and i think that only lasts for everyone for so long at some point you want to take over your own program and have your own team and you have those desires because you've you feel like you've learned enough or you've gained enough information or maybe you know, you're kind of reaching your point of value, you know, maybe you're not as impactful as you once were, or maybe you're not providing um, guidance as you once were, or whatever it might be. You know, I think at some point you'll hit that kind of bubble where you'll start looking for positions and, and considering taking on some roles and responsibilities that are different than what you currently have. Um, but it's just like being on a team that if you, if you want your team to be successful, you have to play the role of associate coach, meaning you always support the head coach. You always support the mission of the team and the mission of the university. Um, if you're going to be successful, because if you start diverging, you have two people pulling on a rope in different directions. You're not going to go anywhere. Uh, so I think knowing yourself well enough to know when is the right time to move on and that maturity level is important. Um, then, the challenges with swimming. So I, I guess from a perspective of having parented people who have swam, uh, it's sometimes it's a long sport. I mean, you go to a swim meet and you're there all day and it's, it's, it's a long, it, you're, it's a big commitment. So I would like to see our sport do something where you could, you know, I've been to a soccer game for uh, a child and, you know, you're there for an hour or an hour and a half and it's bite size and you get them interested and you move on. Swimming, it's always a three or four hour thing at the age group level. And it's not like that at the college level, but it is like that at the age group level. So you have to get interest, I think, in the sport um, for not just students, but the, the parents as well, because parents are going to be the ones driving them, toting them, running the meets, all those different kinds of things. So I think that's a challenge with the sport of swimming. I think it's very rewarding. Um, I think it's a wonderful sport, and I think it's something you can do for the rest of your life. And I see people come in right after us from the master's program. As soon as we walk out the door, the master's team's there, ready to get in the water, and they're excited to swim each day. Um, so I think there's a lot of benefits to it as well. But I think the challenge in general is just making sure that the sport is uh, – palatable to everyone or as many people as we can get uh, to be involved with it. Just in conclusion, what advice, two or three things would you have for those who are either going into coaching or are or maybe younger coaches, less experienced that you've learned along the way that you would want to pass on to others? I would say first is, is, much as you're able, find uh, a mentor or someone that you can latch on to, um, to ask questions, bounce feedback off of, or even a close friend who's in the same role as you, someone who you can talk with openly about your situation, whatever it might be. Joys, frustrations, good times, bad times, whatever it might be. But it's kind of a safe place for you to talk and discuss those things with no fear of any type of 
blowback one way or the other. Uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is to really know yourself in terms of what you want to do with the sport. Um, sometimes at a, a large institution that's uh, college division one coaching, you have and sometimes less contact with the athletes than you may have at a division two school. So if that personal contact is something you're desiring, know yourself well enough to know that that's what I need to be happy in my coaching. That's difficult because you have to do a lot of different things to maybe find that. But that's where the talking with others helps in that process. But know what you want to do as a coach. And then the last thing is probably one of the most important is don't be afraid to, to volunteer, to try, to ask questions, put yourself out there. Um, even if you're going to get rejected, uh, that's that's okay. Rejection's not a terrible thing. It's it's a teacher, you know, and that teaches you maybe a different way to do it, maybe a different path to take or a different person to ask. Um, so use rejection as a teacher to move you forward. So those would probably be the three things I would tell any coach, whether it's a young coach, older coach, but someone who's kind of moving their way through. Um, have someone to speak with. Put yourself out there. Those kinds of things would be the way to go. Outstanding. If somebody does have a question for you watching uh, later, listening to the podcast, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Sure. You can email me at uh, richard.west at fairmontstate.edu. And that's my Fairmont State email. And I'll definitely respond to you. Excellent. And just reiterate again, if you're listening to the podcast, it's richard.west at fairmontstate.edu. Well, Rich, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your experiences. I, I hope everybody appreciates this who's watching. And of course, just a reminder, we try to interview somebody every couple of weeks or so. So be sure to subscribe wherever you're watching, listening from. But on behalf of myself, Tim Backhurst, and of course, Rick West, thanks so much for watching. Thank you.